0: Hey there, listener. Welcome to the Deep Share Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Rouse, and for the last couple of decades, I've slowly been opening my eyes to a very different world than the one I grew up hearing about. And the more conversations I have with interesting people, the more mystifying this world becomes. So without further ado, let's get deep. We've
1: got science to celebrate Demons, Bliss now! After 50, Come on!
0: I it in the wind. it Everything I've said is true, it's real. Dinosaurs, why i like to put those here to test our faith. a
1: damn lie, I, I saw them on my own eye! Did IQs just drop sharply while I was away? We did it in
0: illusions, man! None of it is true! I know it's This is mass madness, you maniac! In God's name, you people are the real thing! We are the illusion. Welcome back to the deep share podcast. I'm Andy Rouse and I'm here with Chaz of the dead for, I believe the third time or the fourth time. I can't
1: remember but either way you keep coming back
0: (laughs) and I keep asking you back, man, because you're awesome.
1: How you doing, dude? Oh, you know, um, uh, breathing air. Glad to be here on, on planet Earth and uh, enjoying the, the spin. <laughs> How you that's doing? That's
0: good. That's good. I'm doing well, man. But you got to be careful with that air because I hear from like news sources that like air is bad for you. Uh, there're chemicals in
1: it. It's yeah. turning the frogs gay. <laughs> <laughs> they're already there.
0: <laughs> oh, so we haven't hung out in a while I think the last time we did we were doing like a witness episode back in the day which was fun oh, yeah. those are always fun jamming out to some psychedelics mixed with the paranormal which I'm sure we'll brush up against tonight but I had I wanted to have you back on specifically because you have a new book out and that's very exciting and it's called A Place Between Time and Space and that's fucking epic man so tell us a little <laughs> bit about this tell us about the book and, and how it came about
1: yeah i'm glad you liked the title um <clears throat> i initially wanted to call it haunted balls but my editor <laughs> put the kibosh on that um, and okay so this to is un- un- the that's the
0: unofficial it. name right
1: so we'll just leave that <laughs> yeah, as the unofficial <laughs> name that's gonna be the unofficial name haunted balls <laughs> <laughs> florida paranormal story <laughs> um but uh, no, it's, it's a place between time and space, a, a true story of UFOs, ghosts, and Florida's strangest home. Um, and it, um, I guess the case at the center of this um, research that I ended up doing is a case that some people in ufology and some of your, your niche nerds might recognize, and that's the Betts Sphere case. Um, And that occurred in 1974, just north of Jacksonville, Florida, where this family, the Betts family, discovered this strange metal sphere. Um, And they brought it home thinking maybe it was a historical artifact because this island they live on has lots of history, as we'll get into. Um, But they brought it home thinking maybe it's a cannonball or some other kind of historical item. Um, you know, it was a little polished, so it didn't really look old, but it it was interesting. And so they brought it home. And there's reports, differing reports, whether they found it in a, a fire in the center of a fire on the island, or in a circle of burnt foliage, or if it was just placed there. There's alternate stories. Um and again, this is something that's gonna pop up a couple times during this this story. Um, but they brought it home and it sat in uh, the adult son Terry's room for about two weeks, uh, just as a normal metal sphere. And one day he began to play his agu- acoustic guitar in the room and the sphere had this reaction to it It started to kind of hum and whistle and, and vibrate and. Um, And soon afterwards, it started to move on its own, of its own power. It would follow people around the home, kind of like following them around corners and seemingly navigate the the stairs and the levels and things like that, really in this bizarre manner, and in a way that showed some kind of intelligence. And the family became convinced that it was either itself intelligent or it was controlled by some intelligence. Um, and thinking, wow, this is neat. <laughs> they they showed their neighbors and their neighbors were like, well, that's strange. And soon it hit the, the local press and local TV showed up, local radio. One witness who um, gave an interview recently about this, uh, seeing the sphere, Ron Kravitz. He ran um, this late night Jacksonville paranormal radio show, <laughs> kind of like a local coast to coast, you know, back in the day when terrestrial radio was was the thing and so he had this reputation as kind of the local ufo expert and so jerry betts had had invited him out to the home um she was the matriarch of this family and she was a character in her own right and um she's one of the the main characters in this this telling of the story in my book uh but she was a industrious woman she owned a real estate company and a trucking company um, again, in the seventies, when it was a, a tough time to be a lady, and much tougher to be a lady businesswoman. Mm. Um, but she also ran for state cro- congress. There's this horrible news article on the record of um, it says, "How how will these women keep house if they're elected to oh state congress?" Is the the headline <laughs> of this article kind of gives you an idea of the obstacles she was again uh, yeah. in this time period. Um, but she uh, she had heard about this, this uh, spooky house out on Fort George Island uh, when discussing a film project, and she decided that she, she had to move in, live into this crazy, unique home that was almost as unique as she was. Um, so she moved into this home, and this is where the bulk of this fear story occurred. Um, but she invites Ron Kravitz over to see the sphere. And Ron says that, you know, he went into the house, saw this crazy home, wanted to take more pictures of it because the, the home is more of a castle, really. Um, and as they're going out to the backyard to take more photos, the sphere, which was sitting in the middle of this flat glass table, it rolls to the edge of the table and kind of dangles off in this gravity defying way and, and kind of like wiggles at them as almost to say like, Hey, don't forget me. Like I want to go inside outside. <laughs> if everyone else is going outside, like I want to go with you. Uh, almost like a cat or a, a dog. Um, okay. And interestingly, the family's toy poodle hated the sphere. It would freak out if it was held near it. Um, it really was uncomfortable with this fear. Got to uh, listen
0: to your pets, people.
1: They yeah. know, they're trying
0: to communicate.
1: Well, well despite this, the family kind of grew this affinity towards it. They kind of yeah. like adopted it as a second pet. They they really kind of enjoyed having this this weird sphere hanging out, and moving around. Um <laughs>
0: I could just hear them. You're going to have to get used to it. All right. He lives here too.
1: Uh, they're like, it's cute. You know, it's <laughs> fun. It wasn't doing anything spooky or dangerous. It was just following people around and moving right. on its own. You know, it's almost kind of like a, a pet robot or someone from another podcast compared it to, uh, what the, the thing from Adam's family, <laughs> you know, just kind of hanging out. Yeah. Just maybe doing some tasks. <laughs> yeah. Weird little guy. He hangs out. Um, uh, and yeah, Ron Kravitz to this day remembers, recalls seeing this incident. I mean, there's no doubt in his mind that this, you know, yeah, something was going on that sphere moved on its own. There was no, no tricks, nothing going, it's clearly, you know, moved around like it was intelligent. And um, scores of other witnesses came to the home and confirmed what the family had been saying. Even one witness who worked for the Smithsonian came to the house and saw it move around and shit. And he was just a (laughs) photographer. Um, so it never like made it further up in the Smithsonian, but he was like, oh, yeah, you've got a genuine mystery here. I don't know what that is. Um, and eventually, uh, outside party, the story got national attention and it kind of blew up and outside parties started interest. Um, first the Navy who has a base on the Island, just South of Fort George Island, they have Mayport station here um and the whole area surrounding this island is part of this Mayport naval complex there's an air base there's several you know battleships and destroyers stationed there um, <clears throat> it's a significant base right there on you know on the east coast yeah. and um <clears throat> her husband worked as a contractor engineer for the navy as well so there was already some kind of connections there and she drew up this being the the you know clever businesswoman on top of her stuff. She drew up this contract and made the Navy sign it that said if it wasn't dangerous and it wasn't theirs like their technology that they had to return it. And after running some tests on it, um the Navy got back to her and said, "Yeah, there's definitely something weird on the inside of this ball like the first x-rays weren't strong enough. We had to get a second the x-ray machine to, to really see inside it. And yeah, there definitely seems to be some kind of, you know, a, a smaller inner sphere is inside this. Um, and uh, when they went to return the sphere, as a, a close member of the family tells the story... This captain who had been liaisoning between the family and the Navy, he brought the sphere back. He's like, yep, you got something weird on your hands. Like, this is a strange sphere. And they, the family gets a call um, at the home while this, this captain, um, right before he arrives, saying, have this guy call the naval station right away when he gets there. And the guy hands over the sphere and then makes this call and he gets chewed out. Now, Jerry can't hear what is being said on the other end of the phone, but he can tell she can tell by the change of his manner that he's he's getting reamed. And afterwards, he hangs up the phone and pleads with her to give them the sphere back, um, almost as if someone in the higher brass had been like, what, what, what happened to the sphere? You're giving the sphere back. Don't give the sphere, you know, kind of Whoa. this, this blunder. Um <clears throat> and that after she refuses to give the sphere back um the navy releases a different report to the media saying oh yeah there's nothing nothing to see here nothing going on with that sphere um you know totally mundane piece of technology it's perfectly balanced though so if you tap it just the slightest it'll move around and that's probably what's what's going on there in so the, the Navy releases two different reports, one privately to the family and one publicly kind of debunking it. The public um, local media, they find a guy who works in manufacturing who's like, I recognize that ball. It looks like these ones we use in these giant pump gauges. It you know blocks up the, the gauge when it's flowing a certain direction. They use it in paper mills. And I've got one here that kind of looks like it. And so the media seized on that, and years later, Skeptoid, the podcast, did a whole thing where they found like an artist who was using these kind of spheres in an art project, and he says he lost one somewhere in Jacksonville. And that must be what they found. And they did their whole the the thing skeptics like to do. They put the stamp on it and said, case closed. Done. You know, nothing to see here. Bada bing, bada boom, done with it. So typical. Um, Yeah, very, very typical. And that's kind of how the the case is treated today. Uh, You know, people are like, oh, you know, it was a weird hoax this family tried to perpetuate. Um, Mm -hmm. And interestingly, though, this was around the time where Jerry Betts had flipped on the whole thing. And she, when these debunkings started being published, she was like, thank God. Because what she thought was just a bizarre, weird thing to find in the woods, ended up Really hurting her businesses, you know. She had um, a phone line at the house that was constantly ringing, and she had, you know, a, a trucking company and a real estate company. But now the phone was getting clogged with UFO investigators and oh reporters and yeah, and <laughs> and yeah, all these uh, NICAP and all these Jeez. people just constantly calling her. We're at the point where at night she just have to leave the phone off the hook so she could sleep. And she was missing business calls. UFO investigators were just showing up at her house unannounced, knocking on the door, being like, hey, you know, where's the sphere? I'm here to discover it. Someone from the Pleiades sent me. And I'm, again, the stuff (laughs) we still deal with today. Wow. She became kind of a a central focus for this this month. Um, And so when these debunkings came out, she was like, okay, cool, fine. Um, but she still wanted to know what this fear was. And then so she turned to um the National Enquirer who had set up this panel to um they said they would give $10,000 to anyone who could have definitive proof of, you know, UFOs or extraterrestrials. And she didn't give a shit about the money. She was very successful. She didn't need any. Ten grand was, you know, not much as far as she was concerned mm-hmm. but it, the panel was filled with um famous ufologists people we know now to be famous ufologists but prime time scientists um there was uh, harder leo sprinkle and most notably j allen hynek Uh-oh. um who was uh heading this panel and they so they sent Terry and one of their other sons to New Orleans to meet this panel with the sphere. And that's where something strange occurred. So right when they hand over the sphere for testing, they do this brief little press conference and it's recorded. You can hear Terry Betts talking about how, how he found the sphere. And um, you know, it's, it's shape. You can see the sphere sitting in front of them while they're doing this little press conference. And shortly afterwards, they hand the sphere over for the, the scientists to start doing these tests on it. Um, but the panel receives this panicked phone call from Jacksonville, and the voice on the line says it's Jerry Betts, and there's an emergency, and that Terry and their other son need to fly home immediately. Uh, and so, Terry frantically tries to get a hold of his mom on the phone after the someone from the panel relays this to them. And he can't he doesn't. He doesn't get her. And knowing that she had would leave the phone off the hook at times, you know, just get a moment of peace and quiet. He assumed that must be happening. He boarded the the first flight flight home, and you know, uh, New Orleans to Jacksonville, maybe like an hour, not very far flight. Um, got there, drove out to Fort George Island because it's a ways away from the city. It, it's a bit of a trip. Um, gets there, and his mom's like. What, what are you doing here? Where, where's the sphere? What, what, what happened? And he's like, oh, we left the sphere. We thought it was an emergency. And she was like, you, you left the sphere, go back there, get the sphere. What, this this some kind of ruse. And so they flew back to New Orleans, grabbed the sphere and walked out of the, the test. They, they were like, no, we're done. You guys tried to cheat us, you know, because they figured it was the panel trying to save the 10 grand. Uh, coming up with some kind of uh, ruse and so they could mess with it and whatever. Um, And Hynek felt like this was a huge misunderstanding. He actually ended up flying out to the home and meeting with the family and they got to know him and and seemed to enjoy his presence. Um, But uh, what neither party knew at the time was that John Keel, a few years earlier, Had experienced the exact same kind of phone call, phantom phone call, doppelganger impersonators um, during his research into the Mothman case. And a lot of these high strangeness cases seem to have that that strange telephone impersonator. And sometimes even people impersonating in person um, at conferences and showing up and asking witnesses questions, posing as an investigator. Um, so this was actually a pretty strange piece of, of high strangeness. If if we're taking both parties' words for that face value that they had nothing to do with it. It might be a, another piece of inf- evidence towards that high strangeness. Yes, um,
0: that is curious because they clearly, like, they would have had to acknowledge that they passed that message along to her, right? At well, very, yeah. And, and yeah. so...
1: They also this was all also all at the panel's expense. The National Enquirer paid for those plane tickets, you know, and so you can make the argument they were saving. You know, they still saved a bunch of money by not having to pay them ten grand if it was real UFO. But come on, no one expects those panels to pay out. That there's a million other ways to have have, you know welched out of that bet than uh, coming up with this, this. you know, kind of personal ruse. There's a family emergency. Um, And again, uh, Hynek felt so bad about this misunderstanding. He the home and actually had the sphere flown out to a um, third location to have it tested. Um, But there's this story that comes from friends of the family that J. Allen Hynek, while he was staying at the house, was caught in the middle of the night messing with the sphere. And there's a story that perhaps he swapped it out for a fake um or somehow stole it another version is that the family gave it to them him willingly as like kind of like hey are you look after this um and most of this stems actually from hynek's son who gave an interview really recently promoting the project blue book tv show mm. um they were doing a like uh it's not a documentary. It's one of those reenactment shows, but it's, it's about good. basic high yeah. Oh, I haven't seen it. But I don't know. They got Lord Baelish
0: from game of Thrones playing. Okay. Heineck. It's very
1: interesting. He actually doesn't uh, do a bad job. Check it out. Well, but, they, I mean, it's on the Heineck. history
0: channel, right? So how much can you trust that?
1: Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Hynek's son was doing promo for this. And yeah, you know, someone something. asked him, what do you remember from growing up in a UFO house. And he's like, oh, you know, there was some weird stuff. And he offhandedly mentions kicking around this metal sphere from a UFO case in Florida. And this um, kind of spurred off this, all of these, oh, he's talking about that sphere. And the kind of, in this super niche little community, spurred off this, you know, um, discussions on this sphere. Um, and the idea that Hynek somehow wound up with it. Now, the sphere described, he describes it as a little different in size, and he doesn't really remember any other details about when it showed up or anything that can really corroborate that. Uh, But combined with the story of Hynek messing with it in the middle of the night, it becomes very interesting. Um, Either way, by the end of this month, after the Navy, after Hynek, after the panel, and after all of the, the press, um, the, the media had debunked the sphere. It was fake as far as they were concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, the Navy had these all differing reports and we really aren't sure what Hynek ended up s- discovering. There's one discussion he had later with fellow panelists. Um, uh, Harder. I want to say Christopher, but I don't think that's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of the Harders mm-hmm. Um and harder to believe that there was something strange with the sphere. But I, Heineck was arguing that there wasn't anything going on with this sphere. Mm. And the, this debate is, there's a lot of shady sources ar- around all of this. Again, it gets really murky about who said what, who believed what. Mm. Um, but Jerry Betts believed by the end of this month, someone had fucked with the sphere. Someone had messed with it. And it wasn't behaving the way it used to be. She thought it was either maybe maybe. swapped out with a fake or that something was wrong with it. And she had it x-rayed again and it showed different. The the interior mechanisms, these three interior spheres, one of them appeared to have been pulverized. There was only two of them and all this dust sitting on the inside. So it seemed that something had happened to it. Again, either swapped out with a fake or altered or messed with in in some way um Mm. combined with the the hits she was taking on the business she ran the yep it's a hoax we're done talking about it and to this day she still doesn't talk about the the case she's still alive she paints um she's a wonderful painter she does like scenes of like southern vistas swamps and stuff like that um but she has no comment to make about the, the Sphere case, you know, it was for her. It was one really weird, stressful month in a very storied life, you know, where yeah. she accomplished a lot of other shit. And the Sphere was just one one strange thing. Um, And so this was the story. Um, as I knew it, and there's actually a great documentary podcast called oddball that really gets into the the details. It was done by Lindsay Kilbride. Um, she was really helpful with researching this project. Her research is phenomenal on this podcast. Um, and, um, it's five episodes and it gets into the the case but it's from that you know journalistic perspective of like what happened was this fake you know right. kind of thing like this i i hear this story and i'm like well this woman clearly has no motive to lie about this sphere <laughs> you know that she's experiencing strange. this high strangeness that is essentially ruining her life you know again it's always the well it was a hoax they did it for fame but these people rarely get any fame and yeah. Only end up getting really harassed. In- yeah, it's uncomfortable fame at uh, best, you know. Yeah, you know, it's not like Travis Walton's a millionaire. Yeah, they they bring him at the MUFON wheels about every year <laughs> to do a quick talk. But it, he's, not, he's not, you know, a millionaire. He's not well off because of his experience. It's right. not a, a beneficial, you know, thing to hoax. No, uh, never. So, you know, I was looking at this project. Well, okay, there's this weird sphere and it moves around. Let's find out more. Um, and the very first thing I found out that really intrigued me was that there was a already a second file, if you will, of paranormal activity about the house where this sphere was located, where the sphere did most of its moving around. Mm. Uh, and I discovered that how very often this happens, that the ghost hunting community and the UFO community, they haven't been talking. And it seems like in the 70 or the 40 odd years since the 70s, none of them have discussed this case with each other. Because the house that Jerry Betts lived in, in the ghost hunting community, had become known as the Neff House. Um, And so that's when I started to dig into the history of this, this place. Um, and when I went out to, to find it and see this house for the, my first attempt, I couldn't find it. I asked around, I asked the local park agents. They weren't really sure what house I was talking about. They sent me to this other house. That wasn't it. um, And eventually on a return trip, I had done some, used some satellite images and found, a location essentially and cr- crisscrossed these trails until i found one that led in that direction um and when i walked up on this house it was almost immediate i go to a lot of haunted locations yeah. and paranormal places but very rarely is one you know we walk up to and you're like oh shit <laughs> like yeah. This- this is strange. This is a weird one. And the like energy immediately, or just like uh-huh. just something in the air. And it, it really does have it. It's, it's, first of all, it's built onto a hill, and there's very few hills here in Florida. It, that it, in itself makes it unique. Um, it's built onto Mount Cornelia, which is the highest point in Duval County, the, the county that encapsulates Jacksonville. Um, and so it's, it's literally house on haunted hill. Um, so this island has a long, long history of um, occupation. So it was occupied by the Timucuan tribe uh, for thousands of years. And when you drive through the islands, you're driving through the shell middens. You can see the oyster shells stacked together and packed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's speculation that Mount Cornelia itself, probably a good bit of it, is human constructed, added on to this, this slope. Um, so you have your cliché, your poltergeist cliché, Indian burial ground. Yeah. Um, so later, uh, it's in the 1500s, it's where Jean Ribault, the French explorer, landed. Um, and it's credited as the location where the first Protestant prayer in North America was prayed, which obviously no matter your beliefs has some, some pretty heavy occult implications. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's Ooh. in its own right. Um, and again, it, he did this prayer on an occupied Island. <laughs> there were like a bunch of native Americans standing around watching them do this and erect this pillar um, that was supposed to be the Southern marker for the French territory in the new world. Man, um, I'm surprised they didn't fuck him up. So the Native Americans didn't, but a few years later, the Spanish did. They landed 45 miles south at what today is St. Augustine. Oh. Um, and they marched an army over land during this hurricane and arrived at the France's Fort Caroline, uh, which was somewhere near uh, Fort George Island. They're not sure exactly where it was because there's nothing remains, Um <clears throat> But Mount Cornelia being the highest location is, you know, your prime suspect. That's where you probably would build your fort. Um, <clears throat> the Spanish marched this army. And at the same time, the French were sailing south to, to do this sneak attack on St. Augustine. And while they were kind of passing each other, this hurricane hits. And the hurricane blows the French feet, fleet way far south. They shipwrecked. They lose most of their gear and their horses and cannons and shit. And they're basically don't know how far they've gone and they're marching back north, hoping that they aren't going to run into the Spanish. Meanwhile, the Spanish show up to an unguarded Fort Caroline. Massacre pretty much everyone. One shipload of people escapes. Um, and on this ship is a uh, an engraver. And it's from his engraved panels that we know this story. Um, and then the rest from the Spanish because the Spanish massacre them. They go back to St. Augustine and they hear that there's a bunch of um, the natives, uh, there's a bunch of unarmed French dudes walking along the beach <laughs> to the South and they go down and they massacre him, them at this point that to this day is called um, Matazanza point, massacre point in Spanish. Um, and so all of these locations have these early colonial ghost stories, especially that area uh, where these massacres occurred associated with them, you know, all kinds of ghost hunters go out there and get EVPs in Spanish and, you know, all kinds <laughs> of uh, weird stories. There's a super strange poltergeist story from North Carolina where John Rebolt set up uh, his second French fort. And so he set up this, this was supposed to be the area between North Carolina and North Florida it was supposed to be the French colony. Um, before the British and uh, Spanish sewed up and, and wiped those dudes out. Right. But um, this fort was actually wiped out by Native Americans. And this poltergeist claimed to be a... a um, he was a jester. He was a dwarf and a jester stationed at this fort, which is already a strange and unlikely story. But that's what this poltergeist claimed to be. And he haunts this house, and supposedly to this day that occupied this land that used to be near this, this French fort. Um, so the island, Fort George Island, where, where this house is located and where this sphere was found from the get has these weird associations, right? There, you know, there was the Native American religion that occurred there that there's no records recorded, but the there was a Spanish mission on the island converting the, the locals there. And they did record that they would do rituals. They had these strange black drinks they would consume, and they would do these these you know rituals, um, living on the island. And of course, as the Spanish lived there, the population decreased over time pretty rapidly after the Spanish moved in for for a lot of the natives of that area, right. um, and the Timucuan tribe very quickly um succumbed so to illness and and evaporated or um morphed into got absorbed by other tribes mainly the Seminole in the region oh. um <clears throat> but um at the spanish mission and some native settlements continued on the island for for a couple hundred years before it was turned into a plantation and it became a large plantation um and w- it was when it by the time it was purchased by Zephaniah Kingsley. And to this day, you can still go out there and see Kingsley's plantation. It's two plantation houses still stand there. The island's covered in these tabby stone ruins that were homes for the slaves and sharecroppers who lived on the island after slavery. And Zephaniah Kingsley, super weird dude. Um, people who, who went and visited him reported that in his dining hall, it was all the walls were covered with these massive portraits of naked black women. And he had this super unique opinion of the time that um, mixed race people were actually more superior than white people and black people. He thought that, which very progressive in a weird way yeah. <laughs> for his time period, that like the, the the mixed race person was superior. And so he really thrived under this Spanish system of slavery, which Florida was still under, um, which pretty much your rights were based on how light your skin color was. Right. Um, and, it's this yeah it's, it's like a, this colorist thing actually still really exists today in like Mexico and Colombia and shit where wow. you know um like people will like if someone's darker skinned they're like, oh yeah, you know he's black they're like, no he's Mexican all of you guys are Mexican and they're like, no 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 he's a white Mexican and he's a black Mexican and, you know it's this weird divide. Um, Wow. But that suited Kingsley well, because he married a bunch of um, slaves and had a bunch of uh, mixed race children. And he wanted those children to inherit his plantations and inherit his property, which they could under the Spanish rule. Um, But then the U.S., purchased Spain, purchased Florida from Spain. And suddenly his mixed race children were as equal to his, you know, darkest slave from Africa. And to him, that was crazy and and wild. Um, But he was also, um, he also adopted this, um, I believe it was Senegalese uh, religion, this native tribal religion. He didn't believe in Christianity. Um, which again made him unpopular. Another reason he was unpopular amongst the other plantation owners, but he he married several um, uh, African women under this Senegalese tradition, one of which Anna Kingsley became kind of like the the leader of her own plantations and <laughs> really was in charge of a, a large swath of his businesses. Um, wow. Not to say he was a good guy. No. Um, because there are, there's a really fascinating incident where um, the U.S. had purchased Florida at this time, and the transatlantic slave trade had ceased. So you could still trade slaves in the U.S. You know, if your slaves had kids, you could sell those kids as slaves, uh, but you couldn't bring any fresh slaves from Africa, <laughs> supposedly. Um, so there's this manifest from the Coast Guard or the Navy at the time, because the Coast Guard hadn't really been set up, um, where they stopped this this uh, slave ship coming in, bunch of 300 slaves from Africa, totally illegal at this time. And they're like, well, where are you going? And they're like, um, well, Kingsley Plantation, Zephaniah Kingsley bought all these people and he's having them shipped in. And the Navy at the time is like, well, it's 300 people. We don't have barracks or food or even just space for that many people, so they let the slave ship go to King to Fort George Island, land at Kingsley yeah, Plantation. It's like nothing. They and can they do literally, about it. yeah. Well, they gave him a slap on the wrist. They were like, "Don't do this again." Okay. <laughs> like that is, you can have this batch of slaves.
0: These three hundred. They were probably people, on on his dime, you know, like <laughs> well, yeah, there's certainly anyway. some corruption
1: going on. Yeah. But yeah. They, they officially like on the record gave him a slap on the wrist. Like, don't do um, it again. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, but yeah, so he absolutely, um, which an interesting kind of detail is he not only supported, but was totally okay with um, his slaves having, this free time they worked hours he ran it more like a factory than you know a, a lot of the plantation owners because again he viewed them as having more rights based on their skin color oh, um God. So so they, okay yeah, so they were treated like children at school
0: i'm that makes sense that makes a lot of sense actually yeah
1: <laughs> again very strange but he did have this system where you know you worked your shift and then afterwards, if you wanted to go catch fish and sell the fish or whatever, you are allowed <laughs> to do that. And eventually you could buy your freedom from him um, if, if you earned enough on the side. Um, but as part of that, he also allowed the, the slaves to practice their own religions and things like that. And so, again, you have a, another kind of occult presence introduced mm. to the island. It, it's really a hodgepodge, a mixture of what ends up becoming the, the Santeria, the Palo Santo, the, the menagerie of, of occult practices that are now, you know, um, synonymous with the Caribbean. Your, your hoodoos, your Hoodoo, voodoos. Yeah where it's these native traditions mixing with these African traditions, mixing with, you know, the, the fist of the church who imposes these saints and other icons. And as any good occultist does, they roll with it. They mix it and they mash it and whatever works they keep and whatever doesn't it work, it's tossed. <laughs> yeah. It's those that core tenant of chaos magic, yeah. which drives the traditional magics forward. Um And so this, island is essentially a breeding ground for it and so it's not surprising that soon after the Civil War and and sharecropping and Tom Crow around this time period spooky stories start to pop up around the island. Phantom dogs, women in white some people say it's Anna Kingsley showing up to to harass the, the, the descendants of the slaves that she used to own um, you know, the there's this ghostly white peacock that's said to to bring good luck. But the most interesting story is the story of Old Red Eyes, and the story goes that Old Red Eyes he was it's almost Freddy Krueger's backstory. Nice. <laughs> he was a, a child murderer. Um, he was a slave, but he killed other slave children. And so he was lynched okay. by his fellow slaves. Uh, yeah. it, of course, when I first heard that story, I was like, well, that sounds like white guilt, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like framing this story. Um, yeah. But after learning about Zephaniah Kingsley and how he operated his plantation, that, that story is probably truer than, than a, you know, one might give it initial credit for. Right. Um And the story is that a pair of glowing red eyes, this demonic set of eyes, is how this serial killer's ghost appears. And people have been reporting that set of red eyes um, for over a century and decades before the the house is even built on Mount Cornelia and a century before Jerry Betts moves in. Um, And, of course, those who know their paranormal stuff will bring it back to Mothman again, the red eyes. The common yeah, that's what I was thinking.
0: It sounds yeah. like the ultra-terrestrial stories that you hear about, always right. the red and eyes or something about uh, hypnotic yeah. eyes. It's always that.
1: Well, yeah, and I had an experience with a set of red eyes when I was a kid that kind of led me down right. this... This yeah. path we've probably talked about that in a previous yeah oh episode. yeah we have um, I mean, if go yeah. back and find it but the, <laughs> yeah. the short is my brother and I both saw pe- pe- the set of red eyes one night and <clears throat> cartoonish almost now when I think about it you know flaming at the edges almost a Halloween graphic um, oh. but it was it was seen by my brother on a separate occasion and you know to this day it was clear as day it's not. Uh, a simple illusion um and so did it feel
0: like it was implanted like it did it feel like some like some sort of uh oh like matrixy type thing where suddenly you were seen beyond like beyond the veil or something Cause when you say it like it looked like a cartoon almost <laughs> like a logo or something like that it just yeah I don't know it feels like interdimensional or something
1: <coughs> yeah well um so I don't really know because um, it occurred in our our childhood bedroom, and it's not like we lived in a haunted house or anything. Right. Um, it was just one night. I fell out of bed, saw this pair of red eyes underneath the bed staring back at me. Mm-hmm. I hopped back under the covers, you know, safe till morning. As you're a kid, that's how kid logic works. Oh yeah. Um, and the next morning, I I figured it was some kind of Light from maybe a toy or something, and I had just see- was confused because it was late at night and I had seen it this way. My older brother sees what I'm doing and asked me without me saying or prompting, Did you see the red eyes too? I still remember he was freaked out when he asked. Um, and he because he had seen he had the exact same experience when he was sleeping in that bed a few weeks prior. Wow. Um, and so, so creepy. It's not like the red eyes popped up ever again, though. And so I do kind of tend to believe it was maybe a shared dream or something like that. Hmm. But even if it was a shared dream, right, that's not supposed to be real. And so that was kind of the moment that convinced me that, oh, shit, like something's going on. You know, Either ghosts are real (laughs) or psychics are real or psychic phenomenon. Something's going on. And it was kind of the genesis of my interest in the, the subject. Chaz um, of the dead <laughs> so, origin story <laughs> yeah so it, go ahead i was gonna say put it in the biopic yeah. <laughs> damn starts. right
0: damn right man <laughs> who do you want to play you just got that you got to figure that out and we'll be set um what's your personal take on the uh like the orb situation like what like i mean there's so many different interpretations for the paranormal. Of course, you and I have talked about that many times and mm-hmm. how it crosses over into all these other subcategories and other important fields that all feel equally as right. important. Uh, what's your take on this orb story? What do you think it is?
1: So it's one of those things where the light spheres, that's spherical light archetype, even spherical metal craft the, the sphere Seems to be something um, that is one of those those trends that is one of the most common ones that pops mm-hmm. up in the the paranormal. I I kind of like to think of it as those like colored tier charts, yeah. Uh-huh. And maybe second down from the top tier, those spherical light orbs, because they pop up again and again and again, and they're they're so real that. They're just written off in some instances. Um, mm, last sure. year, I had a chance to go out to Marfa and see some of the Marfa lights. And um, those,
0: I've never heard of that.
1: Oh, so Marfa, Texas, it's this really weird desert town. Um, it's kind of got this weird artsy community, but it's okay. most known for this weird light phenomenon that seems to hang out around these hills. Um, off in the distance and and when you're driving into town coming from um, the the east there's this Marfa lights viewing center off the highway and it's kind of like rest stop area where if you go at night you can see these spheres of light not every night but pretty damn consistently and so the first night when i went out there there was this one light off in the distance and there was a crowd of people out there looking at it and this one dude was like oh yeah that's one definitely and I'm like, yeah, whatever, dude. It's just some light. Like, how do you how, how do you know it's a Marfa light? Like, it could right. just be a car or a campfire or a flashlight it's just out there. And then it does this weird loop-de-loop into the sky and kind of darts down and then, like, fades away in this weird way. And I was like, oh, fucking shit. That was weird. Whoa, <laughs> that, that certainly wasn't a car. Um And so the next night, you know, being as I how, how I like to conduct my investigations, I took some some magic mushrooms and did kind of a a ritual to see if I could get one of these lights to show up and interact with me, you know, fly close because that that's the stories is that if you're out at night in that area, these lights might interact with you. One guy told us a story when we were there that he was in a school bus and one of the lights came up to the school bus and kind of like the bet sphere, it showed this intelligence. It went up and down the bus, kind of like checking them out. And then this flew off um, again, very much like so, a
0: Mothman ultra terrestrial kind of thing, like interested, but not that interested, not trying really to communicate. Ceiling.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's not really concerned too much with what we understand. It's more curious about what we're doing, what's going on. And then it's back to whatever it's doing. Right. Um, So when I did this mushroom experiment, though, the next night, there were a ton of lights out. Like there were maybe instead of just the one that kind of stayed still and did a maneuver and disappeared, There were probably six or seven of them doing all kinds of dances and maneuvers and and strange shit. And um, you,
0: you could tell that it was definitely not like blurry vision or anything like that. It wasn't you duplicating things with your eyes. I, I'm speaking well, from you know what I mean, like yeah, yeah. Well,
1: on, on mushrooms, you can fuck your eyes. That's the great thing about the <laughs> Marfa Lights viewing center is that people are out there. Like it's you're nice. never going out there and you're alone. It's that's awesome, everyone else is seeing this shit too. It's that fucking um, common. That's crazy. And I had my girlfriend as a trip sitter. You know, always a, very things, smart things safely. <laughs> um <laughs> so uh she did lose me for a minute while i was out there in the desert but <laughs> that's that's all long. turned out okay <laughs> uh but yeah no, there there was a crowd of people around who also were seeing these lights do it you know it it's quite a, a strange phenomenon in brown mountain in the carolinas you have the mm. min min lights in um australia I'm actually researching and hopefully next year going to be on the ground investigating a case um, of these kind of lights with a lot of high strangeness associated in Namibia and South Africa. Wow, um, man. So it, it's one of these phenomena that pop up again and again and again and again. And in ancient history, they're ghosts. In Brown Mountain, the lights were considered the lanterns of. Uh, ghost Apaches looking for their dead husbands because a mm. battle had taken place on that slope. Mm. Um, in the in Marfa, it's the ghost of Aztecs or guarding their gold hidden okay. in those hills. <laughs> um, of course, until it comes to modern times and there's all kinds of UFO stories associated with them. The Marfa lights, again, seem to nowadays act more like UFOs than ghosts. Uh, mm. Brown mountain has a crazy story of a dude being taken inside the mountain and seeing an underground base filled with UFOs. And he even took back a dead mummified alien uh, with him and supposedly kept it in this storefront somewhere around Brown mountain. Um, and it was like, yeah, that's the alien I found. He had this little mummy and oh no one knows where that alien is today. it's, it's Disappeared, lost to history, but no again, one wanted. The story, to
0: oh my god! I,
1: <laughs> well, yeah, again, like the damn Bet Sphere, no one was I, thinking to catalog these things.
0: Yeah,
1: posterity. Uh, <laughs> maybe Jay Allen Heineck has it too. Probably. <laughs> it was, we should ask his son.
0: His,
1: his basement is like the end of Indiana Jones, <laughs> just filled <laughs> with all missing archive with boxes. <laughs> um. But, yeah, it, it shows that the story, again, evolves and it meets our expectations in a certain extent. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and so through my research uh, into this island and into this home, um, so it has the old red eyes, it has the Indian burial ground, it has the Spanish battles, the the plantation era. So then the the turn of the century arrives, the Gatsby Gilded Age. And Fort George Island turns into this golf course kind of hangout for the Jacksonville's elite. They build the Rebalt club after the French Explorer, but it's where the Jacksonville socialites go and hang out and have cocktail hour and, you know, look out onto the water off the Island. And there's, you can still visit the Rebalt club today um, as well as Kingsley plantation. And there's Mm -hmm. these sprawling oaks and canopy road Um and there used to be a a nine-hole golf course um associated with it. And that's where um uh Mellon Greeley, he was the architect who designed and built this club. He was known as the dean of Jacksonville Architects. Mm -hmm. And while he was at this club one day he met a one Nettleton Neff, a railroad executive slash engineer. Um he'd worked his way up from Mm -hmm. Chicago. And Neff wanted to build a summer home there on Fort George Island. And he had already bought a plot of land um, on what is now Mount Cornelia. Um, And he had these like rough drawings of what the home wanted to, he wanted the home to look like. And Greeley must have felt the essence and the idea of, of this home and came up with a second set of drawings and blueprints and said, I think you should build this. And that was the house they ended up building. And it is a bizarre structure. It's this Trudor style. It really is more of a castle than it's a home. It's got this big conical tower as an entryway to the left leads to this grand hall, um, really tall roof, big old fireplace. Leads out to a sunroom. Um, It's 21 rooms in total, uh, three stories. It has a basement, which is rare in Florida, but Mm -hmm. it's... So it's four, but it has seven different levels. There's all kinds of step ups and step downs and like shifting. It's very bizarre. It's almost kind of like a mini Winchester house. It's weird. It's got very bizarre room placement and hallways and things like that. It kind of rises and falls with the slopes of, of Mount Cornelia. Oh, weird. Uh, very strange home. But um, he builds this. But Nettleton Neff never moves in. Tragedy strikes the the family, like most ghost stories. There's there's something horrible at the genesis. Um, first, uh, Neff's wife dies in a fire at one of their properties in Michigan. Uh, <clears throat> they the newspapers called the fires mysterious. No source was ever determined, um, but she perished. And soon after, their adult son disappeared from harvard he was there studying he was gone for two weeks and they found him hanging in an apple orchard it was ruled a suicide um soon after nettleton neff took his own life too he shot himself in his office um in chicago and no one ever moved into the the castle he had built this kind of dream fantasy home um, and at the same time, there the, the boxes moved in, but the family never moved in. And with those boxes sitting in there, um, the uh, uh, Great Depression hits. And the Rebalt Club and this fancy golf course, they fall into decline. And there's no more Gatsby parties. And the forest and the swamp starts to swallow this island back up. And when you go today, it's, you could never imagine there was a golf course there. If you walk on some of the trails, sometimes you'll come across this big patch of white sand. And that was one of those former sand traps. But if you hadn't been told <laughs> what it was, you'd never even notice it. Um, Damn. I'm trying to look up so, the house
0: right now. I can't find him.
1: You can find some pictures of it on my Instagram. Oh, okay, cool. Um, go I got some good photos of it up there. I need to. Post some more this I've week. I've probably seen
0: it. Then I didn't realize that we're you know not making the connection. I'll have to go check it out on your Instagram um, later.
1: Yeah, at Chaz of the Dead for the listeners. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this uh uh really bizarre home. And so the photos you're going to see on that page are of it today. It's it's been a pretty rough state. um mm-hmm. Parts of it have collapsed. It's it's rough um but it still is bizarre when you look at it it still it looks like it'd be more at home in a hillside in bavaria than it does oh in yes this, the cover of your book right the swamp <laughs> in florida yes yeah right. it's on the cover but
0: yeah i just made that connection <laughs> i'm a dumbass okay on yeah the cover. there it is uh,
1: so,
0: so yeah it does look more like a castle it looks tree. like a like something yeah. out of so we have here in massachusetts we have this really weird place Called Plymouth Plantation, where you go and it looks like the olden days. And that's exactly what this looks like. You know, it looks like 1600s. Yeah. You know,
1: like old. Oh, yeah. It's, it's only a matter of time before the Tartaria guys sink their teeth into it. I <laughs> <Yeah>, no shit. <laughs> they're <right? laughs> they're going to pounce on it for sure because it fits it. It's bizarre. It's one of those places that it, it's out of time almost. It's Uh, so strange. Jacksonville's
0: far more bizarre than I ever imagined.
1: Yeah. My mother's from there. An interesting place, that's for sure. (laughs) In many different ways. Yeah. Um my mother mother even
0: told me that that she remembers some vague story about like satanic cults in the area and shit like that. But then again, you know.
1: well there's all kinds of
0: born again christians and all that kind of stuff oh yeah anything that they
1: don't understand is satanic that's for sure yes absolutely Uh, but there is there is all kinds of satanic graffiti inside the house nowadays there's a room called i call the sacrifice room where i actually recorded some pretty strange phenomenon Uh, (laughs) that's wild (laughs) but it's one it's one of these rooms with a fireplace there's a bunch of fireplaces in this again it's a weird castle like home. So a bunch of fireplaces, mm. one of these rooms with a fireplace, someone spray painted sacrifice here. And there's a, a brick missing from the floor that leads into the basement, which is Whoa. just filled with, with refuge. You can't really get down there. Um, and so it's really spooky, really cleverly <laughs> placed. <laughs> that sounds like such a fucking haunted and house, man. I, I had some weird experience and I, I recorded some weird phenomenon in that room. Like what? Um, <clears throat> what was it? But uh, th- there were definitely some strange EMF readings, um, yeah. In particular, around that hole after testing out some strange ghost technology, uh, mm-hmm. but I'll get to that in a, a minute. Oh sure. Um, sure. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, this house gets built, and it's no one moves in. sits on this hill, and the the island falls into decline, and so soon it becomes this this the spooky old house on the hill in the woods. And not long after, the ghost stories follow. Um, old red eyes is started to see hanging out around there. These light spheres, again, the spheres of light are seen hovering around the property and through the the closed doors of the house. Um, a phone is here ringing, even though it's not connected. <clears throat> um, an organ is music is heard playing, even though there's no organ in the house. But again, it has that air. It looks like there would be. And people begin to hear and experience this this strange phenomenon around the house. It becomes a place of um, like, I dare you to go there. I dare you to to check it out. Yeah, um, yeah. So
0: for those viewing that you guys can see it, for those listening, I'm sorry. You should watch this because the, yeah, these are the, some of the pictures that Chad took. Chad took.
1: <laughs> God damn it! That's the second time. Ah, what the fuck, man?
0: That's just bizarre.
1: You can't do me like that.
0: <laughs> that's terrible. I um, apologize.
1: So, yeah, the (laughs) the house, um, it it begins to collect these stories. And that's when it gets Jerry Betts' attention. Mm -hmm. Um, She was talking about doing a film project. um, And they were like, well, you could film it out at this spooky house on Fort George Island. And it captures her imagination when she sees it. She renovates it. She adds this whole wing of the house, a wing that no longer stands. Um, She even adds a new tower that also no longer stands. Mm-hmm. um adds a pool really renovates this this whole house <clears throat> um but um <clears throat> that's during the time period where where you know the bet sphere occurs mm-hmm. but before she even found this sphere she experienced a lot of that paranormal phenomenon that other people trespassers and whatnot had been experiencing before her oh. um, on one night she was hosting a dinner party and there was this crash heard in the kitchen and they went to the kitchen. The door was locked, unlocked it. And there was this shattered dish on the, the floor of the kitchen. But the cabinets were still locked. It had somehow teleported itself out and smashed this kind of classic uh, poltergeist activity. She had also seen the strange strange spheres of light on the property. Uh, she heard strange voices. And she always had a rational explanation for this. She was interviewed and asked about it. And she was like, yeah, no, the the light spheres yeah we see those but they're they're probably just phosphorus in the soil you know like it's, <laughs> it's just swamp, swamp gas, gas. Uh-huh. <laughs> the the voices oh it's probably from boaters out on the channel and it, their voice is just echoing off the hill and that's why we're hearing it it's yeah it's it's nothing she <laughs> yeah. so it was really this rational um you know again very intelligent woman not easily fooled very clever in her industries and yeah. Um, wow. And so <clears throat> all of this occurs and then the sphere goes down and no one <laughs> no one makes the connection that, oh, this is happening in a haunted house. Yeah. The sphere happens and since it's metal and, and So it is metal. The only, metal. <laughs> that so seems weird. to be the only thing. Since it's metal, it becomes a UFO story. And it's... <laughs> been a UFO story for all of these years. Hmm. Um, and that's why I jokingly, well, I actually did pitch <laughs> calling the book Haunted Pauls, um, <laughs> because there's a very good chance that this sphere was just um uh, became the the focus of this activity. It became the the vessel that this phenomenon was manifesting itself in. And
0: remind me where did it like where was it first spotted like it's an actual physical metal
1: object that just yeah. appears? It was found just sitting on the island in, in a patch of grass on the island. Right, okay, and that's right. Yes. Supposedly the the foliage around where it was sitting um has was never grown flares. back. Oh. Um, okay. so yeah, yeah, I can the, see the, the-
0: total ufo connection there that people would run with immediately right
1: oh well and then of course it is a sphere that moves on its own and these spheres are seen very very often uh, in association to ufos mm-hmm. and that was actually the third thing i found that made me decide that well i someone needs to tell this story because people are missing some details <laughs> uh, there's there's a bigger picture here so um uh, and this is also a reason i i ended up not wanting to call it haunted balls because i'm not convinced that that is the explanation Mm -hmm. um so you you had this second case you had the poltergeist ghost case on the house the neff house then you have the Beth sphere case which nowadays in our modern era of paranormal we can acknowledge are the same case something of high strangeness is going on and in my book I dive into all the other high strangeness around the island from entity sightings to sea creatures, sea monsters. You have the St. John's River monster, which was first seen off the shores of the island. Um, you have Bigfoot creatures that associated with light spheres up and down the St. John's River. You can actually go and find a history of these light spheres. Um and uh So it's like a high spot. strangeness with them. Yeah, it it seems to be one of these window areas, as some researchers refer to them, where the the whole gamut seems to manifest. And that's Mm -hmm. why, again, those things like those weird phone calls they were experiencing and things like that. Wow. They seem, again, it, it seems like some John Keel stuff. Right, and It's very yeah. interesting that John Keel's Mothman prophecies were published that same year as The Best Sphere, but a few months after the Sphere story had occurred. So none wow. of the, the family, none of these people, if they were hoaxing it, they nailed it. They yeah. nailed all of these weird details of high strangeness and nailed it so well and, and are playing to the role so well that it's been 40 years and I'm the first guy who's brought up brought it up. <laughs> because that's nuts, again it, it's been this case where people are like oh eh, yeah they found a weird sphere it's probably a hoax and that's been the end of the story well the other thing i discovered which really convinced me something more was going on was had to do with those recent navy videos that were released in 2019 um the famous tic-tac video the gimbal and the go fast right. uh, hotly debated The subject of much conversation. Are they real? Are they fake? What do they mean? Is it us? Is it China? Is it aliens? Lots of discussion going on. (laughs) And I'm sure most, if not all of your listeners, are familiar with the footage. Um, The Tic Tac's the one that goes in and out of the water. It's from 2004. Very fuzzy. Mm -hmm. Um, But that one's very famous because David Fravor, The Witness, he he was on Joe Rogan. He did the rounds. You know, he did the whole promo um, then the next two are the gimbal and this one is kind of the the face of the footage right it's that black and white saucer that rotates it's got the dome it looks like it looks like a flying saucer um and the third is the go fast right. now both of those videos are filmed the, the same day uh, in 2015 and the go fast shows a metal sphere and it's hauling ass over the Atlantic Ocean going real fast yep. What no one's brought up in all the discussion of these videos is that those two were filmed, and that GoFast in particular was filmed only a few miles off the coast of Fort George Island. The (gasps) naval station, uh, the naval crew, they were flying a training mission off the USS Roosevelt, which was stationed at Mayport, the naval station that lies right to the south of Fort George Island Holy and judging crap. by the direction that sphere is traveling in the go fast video, which shows a big metal sphere hauling ass over the ocean. Right. It's heading in the direction of, of Florida of the coast. And it's super bizarre that these are the, the famous videos, but no one's pointed out that not only did a sphere of the same description pop up 40 years ago in this exact same area, but the Navy, Mayport Station, the exact same Naval Station, had hands-on yeah. they had hands-on investigated this sphere. And so I looked into to Mayport Station, and I discovered some information that even Hynek at the time didn't know. None oh, of the investigators shoot. looking into this case that Mayport Station, which again is just across the river from um, Fort George Island, it's mm-hmm. literally could swim up to it. It's right mm-hmm. there. Um, <clears throat> it had had a history of UFO interactions before the Betsphere Sphere and after the Bet Sphere. Um, the The station before the Bet Sphere showed up had a flyover of a UFO where they scrambled jets in response. They Holy they shit. had fighter jets deploy. Um, they the guards who were standing guard that night, they all got the talking to you, like, hey, don't tell anyone about this. Shut the hell up. And it was only reported to MUFON agents decades later, you know, as like, oh yeah, I saw a weird thing. You know, I'm, you know, sharing st- stories with my Navy buddies and this was a thing we happened to us and, you know, here it is. And it's, it's kind of just a one-off for these guys, but it shows that this Mayport station, like like uh Groom Lake in Nevada and mm, uh, you know yeah, all of these places uh, that have this military history. this base has one as well. they've been mm-hmm. interacting with these craft a lot more than anyone ever has even noticed. The fact that they filmed these two craft, these two famous videos now in this area while they were stationed at this base, starts to seem like a pretty crazy coincidence when you consider that this station has had several very close calls and even one hands-on investigation into ufos and not just ufos ufos that look exactly like the two that were filmed that day yeah um that's and it's bizarre. It's it's wow. certainly bizarre. And you hear about these window areas and the phenomenon working on schedules happening on these kind of repeated timelines. Mm. And I wonder if there isn't a higher understanding of that at the military level. You know, we, we have all of this, like, oh, we, they know, they know, they have the craft, they know what's going on. And, you know, I've got my B theory, I've got a whole bunch of stuff which <laughs> supports that idea as well. But Perhaps they just know the schedule. They know these things are going to show up on at a certain amount of time, at a certain time of year. They're going to pop up. Maybe. And it, 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 at least in this instance, it I would say it's quite coincidental that they're able to uh, intercept one of these spheres, spheres, at least on camera, after having such a long history involved with them. Yeah. Uh, there, there's even been the notion put forward that they did swap out the sphere, the bet sphere and the go fast video was that sphere. It (laughs) finally escaped. (laughs) Someone like got to lock it. I was going to say it got like, you know, reverse engineered maybe or something. Out of the lab. And that's how they knew to film it. They were following it, filming Mm -hmm. it. And then when it met up with this gimbal craft, then that they started filming that one. Um, which wild. is an awesome story. <laughs> I Dude. hope that's true. That would be cool. Uh, yeah, well. you got
0: to include this angle to this sto- to the to the whole situation now.
1: That's wild, man. Yeah. This is... it, 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 Jesus Again, man. I'm not going to pretend like I know exactly what it means. It could be any of these things, but it sure, certainly sure. means something. It, it's yeah. a piece of information that we can't disregard when we're having conversations about these videos, which everyone wants to seem to talk about
0: yeah I mean regardless
1: um, yeah. we didn't even know
0: about it. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know about it. this is amazing. This is a whole nother angle to it. I mean, and it's of course, what you and I have talked about many times, the blending of these categories, these mm-hmm. topics, it's all something to do. I would personally, I think it you know it goes back to consciousness being the root of all yeah. being and all that kind mm-hmm. of fluffy, happy sounding stuff. but <laughs> it seems more and more true as you look into these categories and these topics and how they interrelate all oh, the time.
1: Yeah. There's certainly a, a physical reality to to what's going on with these craft. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, there's a lot of speculation as you know, deep fakes is, a, you know, mm-hmm. psyops and yeah, you can't really discount that, you know, I don't put anything past the, the government <laughs> right, <laughs> you know right. when it comes to that stuff. But when you consider this information, I would say there's a high likelihood that that GoFast video and that Gimbal video are probably legitimate craft, yeah. uh, legitimate craft that they certainly filmed in color. By the way, there's absolutely better footage out there than oh, the yeah. ones released. Oh, and yeah. I have I have some some sources in some three letter places that have seen some videos that I've been told far surpass anything that's been released so far, some Mm. up close helmet cam and stuff like that. There's certainly a reality to this object. And if it isn't, uh, if it is fake, fake, they're really, they're duping their own people. They're really. (laughs) And you know, you
0: can follow that, that thread. And like, Um, it does speak to compartmentalization right i mean Mm. that's that's a fact and you know who among the ranks but you know in the lower classes of society in their eyes Mm. whatever like just because you're a soldier or something like that doesn't give you the right to you know see behind the curtain or anything like that but that's just playing one side of it i mean the other side of it is that as you said they kind of um they know when they're going to happen perhaps aware of the cycles I mean, we can relate that directly to, you know, they being very aware of cycles on this planet, I think. And I think that is what is happening when it comes to like astro theology and other things like that, mm-hmm. where it's like, they're just aware of cycles that occur. And a lot of these cycles probably impact consciousness on a mass scale in some cases. So we do these ritual, who knows, you know, we go down yeah. many rabbit holes in that direction. Well,
1: there's certainly some involvement and that's, you know, no big Break to anyone. The military's lying to us, right? No yeah, shit. Yeah, we Are all put actors in our
0: faces. Yeah, no shit. Uh,
1: I, I think we're all aware, yeah, <laughs> to some extent that that's true. Um But when it comes to and you know, I, I also want to say I'm no Lou Elizondo apologist. I think that really, when it comes to those big names, I think that's where you're more likely to find your psyops. Absolutely. When it comes to guys like Lou and, Lou and Bob f- Lazar. Yeah. Um, Both.
0: They played two very important roles. One of which is the nerd, the innocent uh-huh. nerd. And, you know, and I'm not trying to be cruel or rude to him, or, but in general, that is the archetype. Mm-hmm. And that whole culture has been being pushed to the top of the creative food chain, I guess you could mm-hmm. say, or the cultural food chain in Silicon Valley and everything. And on the yeah. other end, Lou Alizondo is like, you know, the old man's hero. He's like the American oh, patriot. Yeah. He's like the regular guy you're going to have with well, the he's weekend definitely barbecue. Definitely
1: military, you know. It's oh, as fuck. Like, I don't even need to see your credentials, bro. I believe you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, no, you don't even have sure. to tell me. Right. Yeah. It's like he, he's one of those guys you look at him and you think that those like phrenologists in the 1800s where they would measure the size of your skull and <laughs> tell you if you were like a warrior or not. They might have been on to something.
0: <laughs> yeah. Because, dude. yeah,
1: that guy, that guy's as military as hell. And here's the thing.
0: He's everybody's football me, coach in high school, you know. <laughs> well,
1: that tells me. And yeah, because I i was there. Right. That tells me he knows how to follow orders absolutely and that's the, the only thing i can say 100 you can tell about a, a person like that and so yeah. what those orders are we don't know no we it, really
0: don't i think we suppose so uh, much you mm-hmm. know they have they have just like all they have and they of course is this elusive they but there right. seems to only ever be really just like one little fragment one little puzzle piece that's missing from a situation that's all that's missing and from that that void we the people come up with extraordinary oh, yeah. claims and mm. we don't know we don't know that's, what the motives really are for anything it's 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 really humbling when you think on that level right it's like oh my god
1: absolutely <laughs> and and that's the truth of it is you only need like one or two lou, lou elizondo's or bob lazar's to just right. say some stuff, and then the community will take it from there. You don't even got to do anything. We'll discredit ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be like, leave it to the professional. We're, we're writing a new Star Trek. Absolutely. Here. We're, we're going to go crazy. Reptilians versus yes!
0: aliens
1: ike oh, paved, the, paved the way, away you know battle yeah. for our soul <laughs> <laughs> yell it in a giant
0: stadium and
1: mm-hmm.
0: the youth shall follow and do the same so i don't know that's yeah. divisive because i love alien stories and i'm, I'm yeah. super into oh, it too we'll it's bats. just i'm so skeptical lately and I, i'm i'm not trying to be but man there's just a, there's so much that I see a lot of weird names thrown around a lot. I see like Anunnaki get thrown around. And I'm like, oh yeah, all right, well, but that word is like a very specific cultural word, and I don't. Yeah, there's I, just so much, and I'm not saying I have the answers, but it's like I feel like we have so many blanket statements being placed on things. Uh, in this, I've current. got a,
1: a a side trip for you, man. I'm gonna send yeah, you please. some readings, some some free literature from the the Church of Discordia all Um, right to kind of help revise your your viewing of these things because it really is and i i'm gonna get some hate in the comments on this one but it really is that (laughs) biblical framework that's fucking up a lot of this research it's really uh hindering us as we move forward and it's wild that you know we can recognize that as a society and like science like yeah the church held science back for a really long time. Yeah, <laughs> we well, can yeah, recognize yeah. it and in, in some areas um I, i'm not to push back on the art one art's definitely gotten worse <laughs> but mm-hmm. <laughs> like painting and shit but yeah. writing and things like that was held back by the church education we we recognize that the church as a whole as an institution has held back these things that today we take for granted as liberties for whatever reason the paranormal has remained the stronghold of the church it is one of those fields where even these super young kids who are doing ghost hunting youtube channels millions of views in their independent ghost adventures episodes i love it it's cool it's mm-hmm. awesome but I you still have the They'll grab their yep. boss necklace and be like there's a demon
0: yeah because and they all watch Supernatural we're, we're- and they all want to be Sam and Dean Winchester <laughs> like those and I love them too I literally watch them some nights while I'm just like a,
1: sitting back like playing
0: video games uh, I'll see, have- I'm an
1: X-Files man give me uh, I mean, give uh, yeah. me that sexual chemistry <laughs> tension. <tangent. laughs> I need they're that fun, my but- paranormal mysteries <laughs> <laughs> damn
0: right no I totally
1: agree I don't want to hear <laughs> I don't want to hear White Snake anymore. Uh huh. Enough corn. <laughs> Let's leave the Christian rock version of paranormal behind. And it's like fine to have your own beliefs and your own practices. But the problem is that the field on a whole has been so tainted by it, where it even bleeds into things like the exopolitics, where the Pleiadians are just angels, man. Like yeah, they're absolutely. in most cases in the friendship case. Uh, in my first book, we talked about it. They all had the names of angels. They chose angelic names. Right. It's they're they're doing ancient aliens Bible version, you know, and absolutely. it's the, the Anunnaki fallen angels. They're the, the grays or the reptilians, depending on who's telling the story. It's comforting. And it feels it, very
0: comforting, it, I think.
1: Yeah. To, 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 you, you, get, know. you get
0: something that you threw away back i bet these are all like former atheists you know what i mean like yeah, oh we kind of get true. our faith back it's just
1: that's true.
0: super sci-fi just like the culture uh, has provided over the past 70 years
1: and well they do they do sound like born-again christians or like scientologists where they're like they've got a line and they're sticking to it and mm-hmm. they're yeah there, we've talked about and, it the and, atlantis and,
0: stories drive me nuts the the uh, those the, are the
1: funnest though the,
0: the, the, the inter <laughs> like the very uh sci-fi fantasy adventures of atlantis uh, that you hear about it's like i mean i'm not opposed i to, love the one i just one have where such they, a human
1: view they started of. having <laughs> sex with dinosaurs and so oh, god that's great. destroyed
0: the atlanteans <laughs> that's fantastic that's Loved awesome. <laughs> I mean, now granted, I'm not opposed to like you know taking that sentence or that story or whatever and putting it on a wall and going, okay, where's the symbolism? Uh, what is this story trying to say? You know, right? That's well, probably and, the route and,
1: I'd take. And the, a lot of the paranormal, a majority of it, and the reason why a lot of people are so bad at it is it's more of the the study of belief. Than actually believing in a thing. And that's really hard to do, especially if you believe in a thing. Um, and that's why I'm gonna send you some Discordia literature because it's more they're more like thought experiments about breaking your out of that um that framework. And Discordianism was put together by some acid heads in the 60s. It's like this new, this weird new age, not new age, because it's uh, I don't know. I'll, 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 it's yeah, hard to I'll describe. Just, I All check I'm gonna it say out. is Hail Eris, Goddess <laughs> of Chaos. Um, and it's the one of the the key symbols in the the occult practice is the it's the Yin Yang symbol, but the dots on the inside are replaced with on one side a pentagon, which represents order. Mm -hmm. and on the other side a golden apple which represents chaos and that comes from the the greek legend of troy right the gods were having a party they didn't invite eris because she's the goddess of chaos and you know Mm. she's a crazy bitch you know she's gonna fuck up the party somehow you know If, if she shows up she's gonna do something crazy right um so being peeved that they didn't invite her she gets this golden apple and it's again, that apple imagery, yep, but
0: obviously, ooh. oh yeah.
1: Um, And she writes Callisti on the the side of it. And that means for the prettiest. And she tosses it over the wall into this party oh, and immediately all the goddesses start fighting over the apple. <laughs> Who's the apple <laughs> belong to? And long story short, they go down to earth and they ask a human and yada, 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 the battle of Troy for like two decades. <laughs> and, <Yeah>. Um <laughs> it's this this, this it, it leads to odysseus and the odyssey and it, it leads to all of these crazy actions just when eris tossed an apple she did absolutely nothing and that's mm. the the power it's always a woman of, just doing something uh, very eris, simple and innocent right. with an apple these bitches and that's that's part of the the um <laughs> mythology of discordianism is that eris is a fickle bitch Right? Yeah, <laughs> like she's a cunt <laughs> sometimes, that, that but sounds- then other times she gives, she gives you shit. So it's, it's this weird rephrasing. So the apple represents chaos, and then the pentagon represents order, mm-hmm. right? And so if you're playing a fantasy game, order usually means good and chaos usually means evil, lightning. Mm. But the Pentagon, I think, is a beautiful choice for that symbol, because to any American citizen, when you think of the Pentagon, you think of a very specific image, right, in a very yeah. specific entity. And it's not an entity of good. It is an entity of order. Right the, all, every drone strike is signed off by a lawyer first. Someone yeah. sitting in an office, <laughs> who's a legal professional is like, "Yeah, you can kill those civilians. Yeah, animals. his name was
0: Barry. He was a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: he signs the thing, stamps it. it. It's a system of order that is pretty evil on the whole, right? We could yeah. have health care and free education and shit if we just got rid of that. <laughs> right <laughs> so it, it, it isn't a good thing on the whole. Um, and that represents again and, and that seeing the lens through order and through chaos and recognizing that either of those things can be good or bad. there's not a state of of you know permanent evil or permanent good. Um, and that applies to the paranormal. If a candle burns for a week when it should be out, in a while well, you're under siege then <laughs> it's a miracle you get hanukkah but if you're in a haunted house and a candle starts doing some weird shit and like increasing in size and whatnot oh it's spooky it's demons right right something chaotic's happening and then the lens of good and evil is always situational it's always yes. situational um and it's true with nature right you have order you have the golden ratio you have biology there's rules to our existence to our physics but then you also have chaos you have the universe i mean look out to the stars and and look at the chaos around us right. infinite worlds and infinite systems and stars billions of of land Micro to macro and, yeah that you can't even possibly comprehend that's chaos. <laughs> and, go sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I just,
0: you know, you made me think of uh, my friend's post on on my, um, actually, I just had uh, my friend Brandy on this previous episode, an episode, and uh, she, she posted this thing where it was uh, the pendulum swing of polarity is an illusion from the correct angle. You see it's completion. It's spiraling, mm-hmm. circling, never going from side to side unless you plant yourself at that angle. When you expand mm-hmm. out from yourself, you will see you're traveling through all of this. That's pretty cool. It just made me think of that because it's like this, this uh, good versus evil is mm-hmm. always this polarity is part of us. And we even misinterpret that entirely. Like the oh, yeah. polarity is always there because in this. I don't know, sphere of existence, this realm or whatever, mm. that's, that's a part of the physics or something. It seems right. It's like right into the
1: consciousness. Oh yeah. Know, science it's of it's that part too. of our our survival drive. It's it's mm. part of the lizard brain and right. that's Contrast. the part, right. Okay. That's the part that's hard to, to break. And that's really the, the slip And bound of an occultist where you start thinking of someone as a a wizard is when they break off because the good versus evil thing, that's a lizard brain thing. And the idea of spirituality of God and religion, that's a really higher order concept that Mm -hmm. isn't processed easily by the human meat brain. And when you attach it to a concept like good versus evil, well, then it becomes very easy to process. You can be like, okay, well, everything I do is good and therefore holy, and everything anything else does is bad and therefore evil. Mm -hmm. And it's an easy way to process that piece of information. When you're able to se- sever that tether, you can really examine that that concept, and that's what the Pope and shit do. They be- look at how rich they are. They don't believe in versus evil. They no. believed in doing good. They do a lot more good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They're, <laughs> they're, that's not of their concern in the slightest. So it's not necessary. And so again you don't really want to abandon morality. That's not the concept we're talking about, but it's being able to look at these higher order things and recognizing that they're not dictated by lizard brain motivations, which good versus evil is. We think of it as high motivation as this high struggle, but man, if you're a gazelle, those fucking lions are evil. Yeah, (laughs) damn right. (laughs) if you're a lion the gazelles might even be good you might even see them like how i feel about cows like a cow's a fucking awesome (laughs) thing and it's great (laughs) all of that shit there's no there's no black and white when it comes to to existence in this reality it's all grays Mm -hmm. and so why would paranormal phenomenon be any different why would it follow the strict guidelines of of good versus evil um But there's... uh, So here's another weird book to dive on into. Um, And I stumbled on this one by accident at the public library. People support your library. Um, Hell (laughs) yeah. Go go there. Check out a book. You know? It's (laughs) it's great. And this one was... It's called The Theory of Nonsense. And it's by... um, Oh, shit. I'm blanking on his name. Um, Dr... Oh god, he's the near-death experience guy.
0: Oh, uh, uh Raymond Moody? Moody, yes,
1: Dr. Moody. Thank you very much. Uh um, yes, I remember
0: this so, book. Yeah, 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 yeah. I haven't I never read this one, but
1: so this I remember him this book. is it's not if you're looking for crazy paranormal stories and stuff, buy my book. Right, um, yeah. This isn't <laughs> this that. is more about like philosophy and how to think and shit like that. But it, I think if you're examining these phenomenon and things like that, it really is crucial, essential reading. And it's about eliminating this or not eliminating. It's about redefining the concept of nonsense. Cause most of us here, you know, Oh, that's nonsense. It's a dismissal, right? It means right. it's bullshit. It's fake. But the, the logical idea of nonsense of a piece of information that doesn't make sense mm-hmm. is crucial And once you understand that, you can really investigate stories of nonsense, the story of of politics and things like that, because it's more about recognizing, well, okay, that information doesn't make sense. That doesn't Mm -hmm. mean it's not true. That that can mean a variety of things. That means possibly that person is processing it in a way that doesn't make sense. That's incorrect, Um, incorrect logically doesn't necessarily mean it's incorrect factually right and so it's it's about recognizing different forms of nonsense and there's all kinds of cool experiments and shit in it and like thought games to help you like reprogram your your thinking into recognizing um nonsense and Again, not being dismissive of it because it's present in everything. We see Mm -hmm. it, obviously, in religion with lots of stuff. They put two of every animal on a boat. Nonsense. It doesn't work, right? We logically know that didn't happen that way. Right. Uh, But we also see it in science. The Big Bang. Nothingness exploded into everything. That sentence... Logically is nonsense. It doesn't make it. It doesn't work. It's a contradiction. It right. doesn't paradox. If I if I'm grading you as a grammar teacher, I'm taking a point off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It, it doesn't play. And those we use nonsense as placeholders for information that isn't tangible yet, mm-hmm. and that shouldn't be dismissed as oh well, we can't understand it. That means it's fake. It's nonsense. Right. It's fake. That's a huge mistake because we know nonsense can become tangible. Mm -hmm. It's look at alchemy to chemistry. Alchemy started with dudes in dungeons, mixing strange sledges together and making up weird words. But now those weird words they make up made up are our periodic table. They are tied to physical substances and they have combinations and effects that are, essentially magical you could kill a whole bunch of people you could (laughs) you know cure a whole bunch (laughs) yeah you can cure a whole bunch it's it's this bizarre tangible thing now and you know it's like oh science is magic whatever but it really when you think about where they're sitting back where the alchemists were these concepts were so far out there they were nonsense they were impossibilities and that's kind of where we're we're sitting at with uh, the paranormal were the alchemists in the dungeon mixing weird sledges together <laughs> and sifting through the nonsense, trying to find what's tangible and what's real and the next steps to creating sense out of the nonsense. Um, so that's right. a really good book. <laughs> Yeah, sounds like that out. (laughs) Dr. Raymond Beauty Man, he's a trip. (laughs) Yeah,
0: he is. I have had him on the show before. I had him on a a big round table. Actually, he was part of the original Witness series that you had been a part of. The the near death experience thing. Excellent talk. He was so awesome. Uh, yeah, he's got a bunch of books. Everybody go check him out as well. While mm. you're looking up Chaz's stuff at <laughs> Chazofthedead.com and getting his books. Mm, yeah, uh,
1: I just love the research and I love the the figures in the community like Dr. Hell Beatty yeah. who are just genuinely researching it. You know, you've yes. got a lot of people out there doing hit jobs, you know, from the skeptical side. And then you have a lot of people who are captured by their narrative. And I, you know, I, maybe they're doing it maliciously, selling some bullshit, <clears throat> Dr. Stephen Greer. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> sorry, something caught my throat there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but maybe they're, and I, I do think a lot of them, they are they're captured by their story. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I've been, really kind of reconciling with, especially in the, the telling of this story and the uh, the potential ramifications and things like that, um, is remembering that the, the story is the original psychedelic experience. You know, while I'm yeah. out here doing weird experiments with physical psychedelics, altering my consciousness, but, if you heard one of my stories today, if you pictured the Neff house in your mind while I was describing it, you went under a, a, a psychedelic experience. You you had a, a shifting of consciousness. It's something that happens so every day to us, you know, every mm-hmm. night in our dreams. Most times when we listen to a podcast, read a book, we take it for granted. We don't really recognize it. Right. But I've found that if you put the, put stories a spooky story on that list of paranormal evidence, that tier list I was talking about where lights were second from the top, the spheres of lights. Number one, right at the top is the story. There's always a strange story. Even before, um, a, a UFO incident occurred, there's usually a spooky story that predates it. The Pascagoula abductions is a good example. Um, Two dudes taken by these weird robotic pointed head entities, hit with a purple beam of light, investigated by the police. There's dozens of books on the case. It's considered one of the best investigated abduction cases. The stretch of river it occurred on was the Singing River. Um, and this, again, never mentioned in most of these books about the case. A couple of them touch on it. Mm-hmm. Um But the Singing River was named such uh, because there was this strange ghostly song people hear that wafts off the the water of this river. And they've been hearing it for hundreds of years. The French governor of Louisiana was the first to record it. And he said that his native guides told him that this tribe, um, they knew they were going to be invaded and killed by another native tribe. So instead of being subjected to slavery, they drowned themselves in this river chanting their death song. And that's the ghostly song people still hear. Uh, And it's this small stretch of river. It's exactly the location where these two dudes were fishing when they were abducted. (sighs) No shit. The the Mothman. uh, Oh, yeah. That whole region was cursed by Chief Cornstalk. There's this whole (laughs) legend of a curse laid by a native chief there um you know skinwalker ranch has the Uinta basin legends it's named after its originating less or uh originating story right right yeah
0: native story yeah and And i always always thought that was
1: yeah yeah i always thought that was poignant i always thought that naming whoever decided that was the name knew their shit because that's a key aspect and again a lot of times it's a story like the Marshall lights or Brown mountain. It's a story that starts as a ghost and evolves into a UFO.
0: Yeah.
1: And so most people think, Oh, well UFO ghost, separate thing, nothing to do there, but it's, it's, no, it's something going on. The the phenomenon is evolving to meet our expectations. Oh, and it's yeah, an interesting it's, way to put it's it. It's like chemistry if it becomes real, if it's no longer nonsense. In our minds, then it becomes real physically, and it's mm. something we're going to have to contend with here. That's the nature. Oh of boy, life. yeah. What's going to um, be our
0: consensus on this one, right? Uh-huh. You know, that's the scary part.
1: <laughs> uh, I, and you know, I'm not, I'm not a, a Stephen Greer. I don't think they're here for peace, love, and light. <laughs> I think we might have to shoot them. You know, oh man, <laughs> we Never might know. keep it in the back pocket. <laughs> right, right. Just be prepared. <laughs> right. <laughs> The, the fact that they're so preoccupied with our nuclear weapons leads me to believe that they might be uh, a little scared and they might have reason to be scared. You know, you know it's uh, like going over to someone's house and being like, you got too many guns here. You should get rid of some of these guns. Right, right. It's you know what bothers me is
0: that, you know, benevolent or malevolent they seem to, it it kind of tells us, uh, all right, well, if there's aliens and, and all these descriptions or possibilities, then it sounds a lot like other advanced planets are filled with very ego like, uh, behavior just as much as we are. And if that's the case, man, what, what does that say about, about us and progression or, you know, I mean, and I don't say that it's almost rhetorical. It's like, what is this they that's so superior yet tries to save us or tries to destroy us? Like, get out of here. Like oh, you know yeah, what I mean. Like, what is this ego? Yeah, that's like, I'm gonna save you. End. Like, what is this? Say or and destroy you. That's it's either way, it's the, the end is nigh, or you know, let God save you. It's one or the other, and it's all such human behavior. I I hate how human. Or I don't know, maybe I'm being a little brash with that. Maybe it's like, oh, well, we are uh, occupying behavior and we call it human, but it's not, I don't know, you know? Right.
1: So the, it's the, the motives of these entities, I think is truly mysterious. I think that remains elusive and that part's really uncomfortable. You know, that that's the part where people have to, well, they're good or they're bad. And they've got to fall into that. And it. even intelligent people, you know, I shit on Dr. stephen Greer because um I think it's funny and I yeah, think he too. looks funny. Yeah. Um <laughs> he's, he's but, as
0: funny as his little seven-inch skeleton alien that he can hang from his rearview mirror that he did a whole documentary. But
1: about. but there's a good chance that he is being roped along by actual entities, that they're taking him for a spin because that's the oh. mo of these entities. They're little fuckers. They like to fuck around the trickster gods, and, and, right? yeah that trickster trickster in the paranormal that's that archetype that's really being embraced by a lot of um investigators now and because i think that's whether or not it's true whether or not there's some kind of trickster entity loki kind of guy heiress goddess of chaos Mm, right she is behind everything but whether she's behind paranormal phenomenon directly or not. Um, she there, sounds like a lot kind of like motion. Sophia
0: to me. Uh, it seems, it's, <laughs> I'm, I got to look into this. I've never heard of this, but yeah. Send all that literature my way, man. <laughs>
1: um, oh yeah. Principally discord, discord. Yeah. I'm a Pope. Anyone can be a Pope in the discordian religion. <laughs> nice. Apostles of Eris. Uh, yeah. You can get a little card, put it in your wallet. Oh, that's uh, <laughs> But this, this, um, shit, what was I saying? I like, totally I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> God,
0: damn. We've been um, going for two hours, brother. This is awesome. Already. Geez. Yeah. <laughs> I got to put my kid to <laughs> bed. <laughs> okay. Damn. I'll I'm, wrap it
1: up then. Yeah. Um, but Hey, go, yeah, go ahead. I'll let you wrap up, but
0: th- this was awesome. I really appreciate you coming on. man.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess to, to touch on the back to the bets case, total diatribe there. <laughs> awesome, love it. Uh, but to touch back on there, I ended up doing some investigations uh, inside the house myself. And I tested out some strange ghost code technology um, from this guy in the UK, Patrick Jackson, who's got this theory around these spheres and that these ufo spheres are the sources of hauntings and things like that hmm. some really out there strange stuff i'm not necessarily convinced but it was the perfect avenue of research when it comes to the betts house a place with history of hauntings and of weird metal spheres and so i i went to the house and conducted some some investigations including one overnight and um, some pretty strange stuff occurred when I played that device, nice. um, but I'm going to leave it as a teaser for the book. Yes. <laughs> Go check out A Place Between Time and Space to hear the latest um, addition to the strange stories that is this house and this island, Fort George Island, um, from ghosts to UFOs to the current paranormal happenings out there um and that brings me to the most important thing i want to plug today is the petition to save the house the the betts oh. castle neff house um it is i think i mentioned earlier it sits on government land i had mm-hmm. to uh sneak in to do my investigations um nice. it's journalism though so i'm protected under the first amendment Woo! is what i'm gonna tell them um, <laughs> <laughs> We'll see if that works. Yeah, we'll uh, see. <laughs> but I've also started a petition to get the house recognized as a historic landmark so it can be saved for future generations. Wow. Um, so the story doesn't have to end here. Um, you know. And it's it's built by a famous architect, Mellon Greeley. Uh, lots of his buildings are already historic landmarks around Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Um, based on that alone, is it's historic enough to be preserved. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it has all these crazy stories on top of it. It sits inside a cultural park, and um, it should be uh, uh, recognized, preserved, and renovated to, to be included as part of our, our cultural heritage. Um, oh, yeah. So whether you're a Floridian who loves history or just a paranormal fan who loves haunted castles, Please, please, please go click the link in the bio, uh, the episode description here to sign the petition, um, so we can get this house saved. Um, oh, yeah. The U.S. has so few castles; we got to save the ones. Yeah, we got. <laughs> Come damn on, right, guys. I agree.
0: Dude, walking around nearly a hundred, they've held now. on to their castles in Ireland and, and England in some cases. So. Yeah, they're gone from here for the most part. But yeah, please send me that link too, and I'll definitely post it in the show notes so people can go check it out and donate and try to help, you know, or sign the petition. So yeah, Yeah. man. Uh, And please go to chasofthedead.com and check out his work. Man, thank you again so much for being here for, I think, time number four. Three, four, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. One of those. I'm sure you'll be back at some point too. Yeah. Well, we're going <laughs> to tally
1: him up there. <laughs> Absolutely, man.
0: Maybe we can convince Chaz at some point to, maybe we'll find something amazingly paranormal around my neck of the woods. And, he'll be enticed to come up to new England and hang out or something.
1: Well, you know, my <laughs> brother is living up in Massachusetts now, so I'm oh, overdue for a visit. I think that might uh, have to happen,
0: brother. I could show you around. We can definitely go to one hell of a spooky fucking cemetery. I can tell you about.
1: Oh, hell yeah. I'm always in.
0: <laughs> All right, man, everybody. Thank you so much for listening, watching, checking it out. Go check out Chaz's work and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Share podcast. If you want to hear more, then hit that subscribe button. Follow me on all the social places. And remember, think for yourself, but don't always believe what you think. Till next time. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass Enough! <laughs> I got the point. <laughs> the you um, have meddled with the primal forces of
1: nature. <laughs> And you will atone! What do we know? What do we know? If oh. I know what we know, well, then I can tell you what we know, and if someone else knows, okay? Uh-huh. <laughs>